Welcome to our next installment of the Rebels of the Heart virtual conference series, which has been an ongoing segment where we featured great leaders across all different areas of business, different companies, really showing the next generation of leadership and what leadership with a heart looks like in terms of rebels breaking the rules, creating new rules, and, and establishing what a healthy business and personal relationship can look like. I'm Derek Bunston, CEO of Life Guides, uh, and we're building a platform in which caring people to do extraordinary good by using technology to match people who have been through a life challenge of some sort, with those who are going through the same or a very similar experience now provide peer-to-peer mentorship support and guidance to help people be happier, healthier, and more productive in both their work life and home life and where those come together. Hey, we're going to get started here. So again, welcome to the first Rebels of the Heart of 2023. I'm really excited to see all of you, especially our guests here. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for making the time and sharing your, your heart, your expertise, your leadership with this community of thousands of leaders that we've interacted with over the last couple of years. It's been quite a blessing to have the opportunity and equally so to have you all join us today. So with that, we will open up today's conversation and allow each of you to introduce yourselves. Again, welcome to Dave Peterson. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Dave Peterson. I'm with the OC Tanner Company. We're headquartered in Salt Lake City. We're a 95-year-old startup, and uh, our space is the area of uh, workplace culture, employee engagement, and uh, love what we do. I've been with the company for about 40 years and um, blessed to be here. Thanks. Good to be involved. Amazing. Thanks, Dave. And we'll go over to to you, Mr. Josh Schwady. Welcome. Thanks, Derek. And hello, everybody. My name is Josh Schwady. Um, I'm the complete opposite of Dave right now. We, I'm the co-founder of a company called Spotlife, and we started it a year ago. And so <laughs> I hope I hope we've got a lot to learn from Dave and, and the OC Tanner Company. Um, we're on an important mission here. I'm the co-founder here, CEO, and we're trying to help people live higher quality lives in the workplace. Uh, we, we believe that the intersection of work and life is not going away anytime soon and also self-care. And so we are trying to help people shine a light on that harmony between those three. And ultimately with the goal of helping companies, we believe they can thrive because their people are thriving. Um, personally, I'm calling in from the Carolinas, just outside of Charlotte. I saw somebody on the uh, on the chat here from Charlotte, which is great. Um, and I've been in the HR technology space for 20 years, have kind of seen it all from the top of the recruiting funnel all the way to offboarding. So this is my first company I've founded, um, and I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having us, Derek. Absolutely. Welcome, Josh. And we'll go over to you, Mr. Victor Wang. Thanks. Uh, I'm Victor Wang. I'm the CEO of Stockpile. Uh, we're a financial and investing platform that focuses on kids, families, and new investors. Um, I'm also the founder of the new Stockpile Foundation that provides financial opportunity to marginalized communities. And I also serve on the board of the Empower Me Academy in San Francisco that teaches leadership training through basketball. Um, and at home, my wife is the CEO, and I'm just constantly trying to motivate and inspire my uh, my two young boys. Um, I'm calling in from San Francisco. I saw also a couple of San Francisco folks in there. So yay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And of course, I didn't want to comment as well, because you, Josh, gave voice to it. Each of you brings a different lens to this conversation in terms of the size, maturity, the scale of your organization. But there is some common themes, as you can already tell, around overall investment in employees, around well-being, around using business as a platform for good and for change, around the role that entrepreneurial businesses and leaders can have in, in impacting cultures. All of you share that, and each of you brings a different perspective on how that applies to our overall macroeconomic lens. Um, so again, for our audience, I'm the host of Rebels of the Heart. I'm also the president and chief cultural officer of Life Guides. We are also on the 
Benefit Corporation, focused on connecting people who have been through life experiences, events, and challenges with those who are going through the same experience, events, and challenges to ultimately reduce struggle and suffering, help them thrive in their lives and their business, to create more joy, vitality, and purpose in the world, and to do that at scale for billions of people around the world in the coming decades. So with that, we're going to jump into our conversation. Gentlemen, uh, I gave voice already to the idea of this talent. What do you, in your roles as CEO, see happening around the talent sphere right now? We're at you know, arguably a challenging economic climate. We hear a lot about that and the considerations in our business. We've gone through a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generation pandemic and change, change management experience, what's happened. We've transformed our businesses. I imagine each of you has transformed your lives in certain respects. What do you see in 2023? How does this convergence of factors affecting you and how have you approached your businesses and your lives in terms of planning and what you have in store for this year? And it's a big question, but it'll allow us to drill down from there. And feel free to take that, any one of you. Well, I, I can definitely start. I think, uh, you know, some of the challenges with talent, I think, um, you know, Dave and, and Josh, I think we all have the same challenges, like, but I think as a startup, we have the same challenges, you know, company fit, skills, all those basic things, but we're trying to do those things with a lot less money, right? So I think that's that's one of the things that we are specifically look at. Um, but I think in terms of like attracting talent and and nurturing talent, I think it's a different set of skills that we're trying to develop now. I think people that were successful in in an office environment maybe might be challenged in a remote environment. And and uh, so I think what we want to try and do is how can we take those things that we're good at and then translate them into like the multiple office, you know, hybrid and and remote workforces and and help all of our teammates be successful, you know, regardless of what circumstance they're in. Yeah, well said. Thank you, Josh. Or oh, sorry, Josh or Dave, excuse me. Well, I'll jump in. I, I've got a thought here. Um, you know, whether it's a whether it's a COVID or a, or a great recession or something that's unique to the particular industry that a company is working in that can come along, there are always uh, cycles, there are ups and downs, there are challenges that come along. Business isn't always easy, but it can be fun. And um, I, I think probably one one idea to consider uh, always, no matter what, is um, in is to turn toward your people. The opposite of that is to turn against them. And I think sometimes without knowing it, that can become a default management response to a difficult, challenging time or situation. And uh, my, my experience and my, my life lesson uh, here where I've been for all of, all of my career has been turn toward your people. That, that, that's, that's really all you've got. And that's really what your, your primary asset and, um, and means to accomplish anything is. And when you do that, it sends a message of confidence. It sends a message of humility. It sends a message of, um, of, uh, you know, determination and positivity. And, uh, inevitably, in, in my experience, at least, that has been a difference maker. Turn towards your people. Beautiful. Josh, I love it. Yeah, I'll go just kind of a slightly different direction. Um, I think back to the first startup I was at. It was in 2001, and our our key our key verticals were financial services and travel. And so, 9/11 unfortunately happened, and that I mean, those were our two main industries. And so, I, I would ask, I would tell all the managers that are out there on this call, figure out who's on your team. Were they around for 2001? Were they around for 2008? A lot of workers haven't experienced any type of cycle. And, and these are impress- unprecedented times that we're living in. We're more connected today 
then 08 and 2001. And so just understand like who's on your team uh, because they might, they, not, they might not be used to this, right? So really check in with them and understand what their business experience really is and let them know it's going to be okay. Like, we're going to come back, right? I mean, that's going to happen. Like, like Dave said, there's all kinds of cycles that are going on, but be self-aware of who's on your team, who you're leading uh, and be there for them and tell them stories. If, if you're lucky enough to have gone through these things, like, yeah, there, it is, is going to be okay. And give those examples of maybe there are some dark times, but then there's some brighter times along the way. Yeah. So there's a lot of directions we can go in this. I'm going to come back to a few of them, but I want to ask one kind of practical question. We, we read a lot right now in the news about this remote work versus in-office culture. Um, what is your, and each of you has the ability to work with a lot of other companies and talk to a lot of CEOs as well. What is your personal view on that debate as it pertains to trust, as it pertains to productivity, as it pertains to the business climate environment that's going to yield the right balance for families and for productivity? Where do you, where do each of you personally land and what do you see kind of from a corporate evolution standpoint, how's that going to get settled? And, and even, yeah, let's just start there. I'll, I'll go on this one. I, uh, um, we do talk to a lot of CEOs and chief people officers and spotlight, like that's really our, our target audience. And so we, we actually asked before we even started building any code, we started talking about the talent dynamics and the, and the hybrid dynamics. Listen, the bottom line is, and this is unscientific, the ones that are demanding people to come back to the workplace are the ones with expensive office leases, right? Yeah. And so the world has changed. And so that's why they're, they're pushing back to come in. But it's, it's ultimately like Dave's right. You got to look to what your company, what your people want too. But if you've got the office lease, like you probably aren't going to be able to get out of that. Right. So that's a lot different than where Victor and I are, which is, and we can be, we're remote first, we're hybrid first, whatever you want to be. So I think, um, I think there's no one right situation, Derek. I mean, you got to figure out the company that you have, the assets that you have, the culture that you have. And what's going to work? Or if you're going through corporate turnarounds, like maybe you do want people around more because you, you're right. trying to change the goals and the culture. And so I just think, unfortunately, I think the media has really spun this up to in office or not, or Elon right. Musk, what's he doing? The bottom line is, you know, the CEOs, I think they, they have the right to figure out what's best for the business. I think the yeah. key though for the CEOs is to over communicate the yes. why behind on what we're doing. That's what's missing in the story. Why, like, why are we, why do we need you back in the office? Right. And then at the end of the day, the game has changed. So if the employee wants to do something else, then yeah, you know, they can go do that. So that's that's our point of view. I, I think it's just be flexible for your people, but you also have to run the business. I want to dig in more on some of what you said, but gentlemen, sure. you guys have thoughts on this question personally, your personal view on this? Um, yes. Uh, you know, I, I think the number I read was that uh, actually only 20, I think it was 25% of uh, people in the United States even could work from home. Uh, you know, you take out the school teachers, the firefighters, the manufacturing people, you know, a lot of great people that just simply cannot perform their job at home. And so we're really talking about uh, somewhat of a minority of the workforce that's kind of been blown a little bit. I, I think Josh is right, a little bit overhyped in some of the media and the reporting. It's kind of a sizzly topic to talk about, and it stirs things up, and there's a little bit of pot stirring that goes on about it. But but I think Josh nailed it. This, this, is, this is a decision that ought to be made um you know differently by in terms of each each company in our in our main campus here in salt lake city we've got 1200 people and 400 of them are in in our highly skilled uh, technology and manufacturing areas yeah. um, we got another two or three hundred in simply uh, software engineering those are two very different things 
Um, we also have an environment where our manufacturing teams are right next to our offices and we have glass walls. So everything is transparent and we try not to have uh, us and them environment. Uh, but they, again, this is unique to our environment, our workforce. And so we have a hybrid right now. And we we uh, we came back to work as a hybrid situation in um, fall of 2021, earlier than many, after a year and a half of, of, you know, a lot of our people being here all day, every day. So it's working for us. Um, we're all here at least Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, more and more are coming in all week. Uh, but there is some flexibility for those that need it and want it. And um, it's kind of a hybrid. It's working. We like it. Uh, I don't know what what it'll be in five or 10 years. It might change. But um, one thing that's guided my thoughts, aren't, I'm very personal. I, I want to know everybody's name. I, I want to be able to stop him in the hallway or the cafeteria. I just, I just, I just really enjoy our people. And one thought that occurred to me was if we, if we stayed full hybrid for those that can for, for very long, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take more than maybe four or five years before we wouldn't, as a, as a company, and we're close knit, we wouldn't have met ever half of our colleagues. Right. And I just can't wrap my, my mind around that. I just can't. I can't wrap my mind. I, I, I like the personal touch. And I think that's part of our corporate culture. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think that's really critical. I think there's, there's two things, Josh, you mentioned something like companies trying to figure out what's right for them. I think there's also this, this other side, right? Employees trying to find what's right for them. Cause there are people that are going to thrive in different environments and trying to figure out the right mix for, for, for companies and for employees. Um, but I think Dave, you said something that was really, kind of like uh, something that I've seen is that the nature of like, as we've gone like remote and hybrid, like I've seen for our team, because it's, it's not a very big team. It's like, it's become much more personal, right? Like we know, like I know people's spouses and kids and dogs and, you know, and I know their struggles in their home work, you know, confines. It's like, we know much more about it because it's, um, you know, it's become part of the crossover between uh, personal and work. Um, so I think just, I think that's part of the progression, right? That, that for us, work has become more personal. Um, we've tried to do things like we have a water cooler snack, uh, Slack channel, right? Like, okay, if you want to just go hang out to see who else is around, even though you might be in Pennsylvania and you might be in Seattle, I think we're trying to replicate that, that feeling of community and involvement because- you know, Dave, I'm like you, like, I like people, I like people being around and how do we kind of foster that in a, in, in a different way is kind of, I think that's part of the adaptation. How do we make remote work more personal? And I, I, I think I'm the same way. Like we have some amazing people never would have been able to hire them or retain them if it wasn't for what's been happening. So, yeah, I mean, I think, so a couple of different thoughts, I think and it's almost, there's a tale of two kind of economic categories regulation. So if you look, so I agree, Dave, quantitatively, if you look at the math of, of you know, who can work really who can, you know, obviously industries like hospitality, manufacturing, retail, construction, and skilled trades, they need to be out in, in the environment where they're doing their work. At the same time, when you look at financial services, technology, healthcare reimbursement, more so than, than delivery, but even that's changed now with telemedicine, Real estate consulting; those are those are huge financial contributors to the overall economic climate, right? Now, I think your point, Josh, is, is well noted. Is it really about culture? Is it about how we control our costs and our financial commitments? Because there's a big real estate 
element there is to your question, to your comment, I really don't know the answer. This is why I'm asking it. Is it when we communicate the why, do we, is it better for these CEOs, these businesses to just say, hey, we need to honor our commitments to our real estate and our leases while we figure out what we're doing culturally? Because I do think there are ways, because there's I've talked to other CEOs that love that they can recruit from anywhere in the world now, right? As opposed to a local market where they have a geographic real estate footprint and be able to tap a different way. And that look that, that taps tap into a question I have around education, reskilling, upskilling, incentivizing. And Josh, I'm sure you have a thought around this too. But I, is that part of it? Is it really about that versus the culture shift? And I also agree. I love getting together with people. I think the community aspects, the relationship building, it's 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 saddening to think about that you wouldn't meet colleagues that you're working with. But yet we often hear that the productivity measurably is is quite high in remote and the talent recruitment ability is very high in remote, but you're missing that. And so is the opportunity then as process CEOs and leaders to build different ways that we create culture in this hybrid work. And I, I think it's amazing that you're going, you're, you're having this as you go along. But I think that's a really big thing, yeah. especially when you look at, you know, I, I think the banking sector is particularly interesting because they are the ones that could work remote, right? They, they actually said that they were more productive remote and that they're forcing their people back to the office amidst a lot of uproar, right? And where do those, and then to that point, those employees do have a choice to go work in other categories if they were so inclined. But how do we then cross that talent and skills gap, which I know is a huge topic right now. So anyway, I, it's a little bit of a rambling, but more than a question. But I think it it helps to give a little bit more you know, consideration to all the complexity that you all as leaders are considering and our colleagues are considering in their businesses. That these, are, these are convergence factors, which goes back to communication, helping people, helping our people understand why decisions are made, help them understand how to make better decisions, help them to think through the the matrix of choices that are being considered. Because I think that oftentimes people don't necessarily see beyond that, beyond their individual role. So I think, what's your view on the role that we all can play in providing that education for our people and, and helping that call to the Go ahead, Josh. Well, I think I, I, I want to hit on what you said. The first part of the comment, Derek, is trust is really important, right? So Edelman, big global PR firm, they do their annual trust survey and it's, it's just about trust. It's trust uh, that people have trust in governments and businesses all around the globe. The bottom line is trust for people has gone down and it continues to go down every year. And so mm-hmm. I think if you just look at it through that lens of, well, maybe my people don't really trust, maybe the people don't trust their leaders. And so if they don't feel like they're they're being treated as humans, right? Or being like just hearing the full story, I just think that's where it comes back to the why behind, which is Hey, this is this is the reality of the situation. This is why we have to do this. We have an expensive office lease. By the way, I don't have data that says this. I just have been like tracking on Notepad. Anytime there's an article about back to office and we're mandating, and it tends to be companies that are bigger, it tends to be the ones that have that. And so, um, so I just think all of us on the phone here on the on the Zoom, like let's think about. We know trust overall is low, just in culture, not just work culture, but culture in general. Yeah. And so that's why they're asked. That's probably why they're asking those questions. Like, tell me, tell me the straight, straight shot here. But the bottom line is if, if, if the game has changed and you don't like it, then, you know, go find something else. Right. But the company is employing you and they're giving you these opportunities. So I know we probably don't want to turn the whole thing into remote versus hybrid, yeah. but you know, I think it's just, I think it comes back to, you know, Dave mentioned culture, culture is everything. Right. Well, so yeah, yeah, that's Understand who your culture, what your culture is at your company, and communicate effectively, and then your people are going to be appreciative of that. 
I agree. But do you want to chime in on this at all, or do you want to move on to the next kind of topic tangentially? Yeah, I think we can go. Okay. So along this kind of same lines around, you know, there's just key actions, practices, systems, the business are going to support hybrid in particular and create trust in that environment. I'm sure, Dave, you have some thoughts around this as well. Your business is focused around incentives, around designing personalized experiences. Same thing with you, Josh. You're measuring some of these different feedbacks. Do you have thoughts on what we can do specifically to rebuild trust as leaders? I, do, I agree with you that fundamentally that responsibility falls on us, for lack of a better term, to help cultivate that within the organizations and within the individual we serve. But I think there's a there's balancing that individualism versus versus collective mission is something that I think has been an attention point over the last several years for a lot of reasons. But what are you doing to intentionally cultivate trust within your organizations? And it sounds like you all have different views on this, um, but we'd love to hear specific examples because I think that's going to help leaders bring those back into their businesses. Well, I'll take a stab at that. I think that um, there's a lot written and a lot to, to understand. And, and actually, I think I think so much of it is intuitive. I, I really do think that most most leaders are intuitively uh, they they want to they they do trust their people. They they've realized and learned uh, those lessons, and I I think they want to do the right things, and they tend to do the right things. There, you know, occasionally there's a bad apple that shows up in the news and. And they 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 really do make some stupid mistakes or decisions, but but generally, I have a lot of confidence that most most leaders want to get it right, and um, and and so therefore, if you've got a really if you pay attention to your workplace culture, you've got a place where people are encouraged, they're inspired, they're treated properly, um, they're told the truth. There's a big part of trust. You've got some transparency. There's a big part of trust. You're going to have a good you know workplace culture. Trust will be a part of it. And if you don't, you know, in my experience, culture tends to sort of cough up, if you will, or spit out anything that it doesn't like. And um, you'll know that, you'll see that, and you'll recognize it. We all do, uh, you know, uh, employee satisfaction surveys and those kinds of things. And trust is always one of the questions, and it's something that we should always pay attention to. But I think the answers go deeper. Um, and they're, they're probably more systemic in terms of the environment and the culture, which we work. Yeah. Let me ask a personal question of you, Dave. I, I kind of cover this. You, you're, I think, very rare and special in certain ways that you've been with OC Tanner for 40 years, that you started early on in your career. You're now president and CEO of the company. You went through many different roles in that progression, I would imagine, and, and grew and, and evolved significantly and went through a lot of personal transformation in that respect. What was it for you that created that sense of individual loyalty? And what is it that you've kind of seen and, and then transmuted it through your own leadership that you're kind of carrying the torch? You, I think it's fascinating that you referred to OC Tanner, the 100-year-old startup. And <laughs> you know, myself and the other two gentlemen on the call, we are more startup-oriented yeah. CEOs. I'd love to hear you. And we've moved around through different organizations that we've both led and supported. Yeah. I'd love your. I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Well, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't last a hundred years. We're, you know, we're not quite there. We're ninety-five, but you don't last if you're not always changing. You've got to evolve. Your strategy changes. Your market changes. Your competitors change. The the customers change. Everything changes all the time, and yeah. so you've got to be paying attention to that. And this company has done that. And as I've I've been sort of along for the ride. When I came here, I fresh out of school, I didn't know a darn thing, um, and I'm I'm a product of what we do, and I have had sort of the benefit of great leaders all the way along, different opportunities, 
a lot of growth, never had time to get complacent or lazy. Um, and I think that's part of a great, you know, great place to work. I'll bet you that Josh and Victor with younger companies and, and startup experience, I, I, they know this, they're seeing this, they've been through it. And um, I, I, I like that thought of being a 95 year old startup, because if you're, you know, if you're not starting up, well, what are you doing? You're, you're going the other direction. And um, that infuses some energy in the organization and, and causes people to think that there's more to innovate and, and more to invent and something different around the corner. Um, and all of those things, all of those things create energy and uh, feed sort of a culture of that attracts people that want to be here. And, um, uh, you know, I think it's all connected. The trust, the turnover, the relationships, the remote, the purpose. I think it's all connected. Mm, well said. Yep. So, go ahead, Dick. Go ahead. Yeah, I was about to say, like, you know, I think, uh, you know, like you say, it's all connected. I 100% agree. Um, I think we, because you hear a lot of discussion around trust. Hey, are they really doing the work? And, you know, you see a lot of very, like, polarized expression. But I think, you know, part of for us is, is, um, is just trust is the, is the outcome of the relationship, right? It's like the investment of time with our people that creates trust. It's not like, let me infuse trust into the situation. Like trust is the, the outcome of the effort we put in, uh, and the intent and transparency. It's all the things that we do, uh, on a, ba- on a general basis. But, you know, trust, which is kind of the mutual trust is an outcome of that mutual commitment to that relationship. That's what we've seen. Thank you, Victor. So kind of on the other side of that coin, um, there was a study, I forget who did it, but it was talking about the role of leadership's personal transformation, right? That CEOs surveyed kind of two years ago would not have ranked personal growth and transformation necessarily as, as the highest value. That now leaders, CEOs especially, are being confronted to be personally transforming themselves, their lives, their skills in the wake of this new environment. Do you agree with that? And or how have you, how has the last few years and the complexity of the environment outside the business? I know you're all adaptable. That, that's, that's evident. But has it, has it landed for you differently in a personal level? I mean, Josh, you gave voice to, you moved your family across the country, for example, to be your, your brothers. Like, has there been like quantum shifts in you, how you view your reality, your time, your priorities? You know, like, has anything shifted dramatically for you or is it, is it just kind of reinforced? what you already stood for and what you already valued um, in your leadership and your principles. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, I think everybody had a chance in 2020 um, to do a forced pause and completely stop everything. I mean, it's a, uh, it was with three girls, you know, we were, I think at the time, I mean, I had a, I had a middle school and two elementary schoolers, you know, I mean, you're like in literally survival mode trying to remember I mean, the online learning stuff, right? So I think you slow down and, and folk, we all slowed down and focused on the things that really mattered to us, right? Health, self-care, everybody else's health. How are my parents doing? How are my family doing? And, and the world just slowed down too. And so I think for, for me personally, yeah, absolutely. Like it, it made me realize like, I don't want to go back to 2019 Josh. I mean, I was, I thought back to higher view is one of my favorite parts of, of my career. It was, you know, employee five at the startup. It's still going today. Mm-hmm. I spent five years there, but I, I'm embarrassed to tell you like tra- traveling from Chicago O'Hare to Salt Lake city airport two to three times a month. Like I knew everything there was about that airport. And I knew when the flight times were and 
you know, I it just, I, I had a blast because I was all in it. I was in it with the culture and in it with the growth and we were evangelizing a new solution that wasn't around. But man, it's like, I think I, I missed a lot of time at home, right? I missed some, some key moments there. And, you know, I think the cool thing about the 2020 pause and the force towards remote is like, you can, you can now realize like, Hey, I can be a lot more productive. Um, but I also like Dave, I'm also a people person. Like I do like to get out and do relationships mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, I've changed a lot. Um, I now count instead of counting how old my kids are, I count down to how long they go to, how far they go to college <laughs> or how much time I have before they go to college, you know, cause I know what I was like when I went to college, I kind of just, you know, I, I had fun and you know, I was all in on that experience. So yeah, totally. I think the move down here to be close to one of my brothers, we, we grew up in the Midwest. We were, we knew what that was going to be. We wanted to try it for two years. If it didn't work, we'd be back up to the Midwest, but we're, you know, my other brother came from California and now we're all here. So what's. Yeah, big personal changes, a lot more self-awareness. I think it comes back to that pause. Everybody slowed down and thought, what really matters? Because if everything can be taken away so fast, am I spending my calories on the right things? Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, for me, it's like uh, being the first time in, in this type of executive role, I will say before the pandemic, like I, I the idea of like a significant remote workforce, I was like, yeah, no, thanks. I mean, to be honest, I was very old school in that thinking like, oh, we all have to be together. We all have to like, you know, have this team camaraderie and we only get that by being here together. And one of the things is, as we started to evolve and change, like as I had, I was uh, to be honest, forced to go through that transition of understanding how can we do it better? Um, that was a big learning process uh, for me personally. And knowing that it can be done. It can be done in ways that are amazing for some people and to support other people in different ways to, to make sure that we still have that touch base when we need it. Um, I think that was a big learning process for me personally. And I think just being open and expressing that to the team, like we're figuring this out. We're trying to figure out what's best for the organization, for employees and the company as a whole. Um, I think Josh, you know, the, the word unprecedented times, I think it's always funny. Like we just keep having unprecedented times. And so, you know, like that gave us better empathy for our team members. Our team members have more empathy towards us because we have worked to build that trust. Like, hey, we're not, we don't know all the answers. We're trying to do the best we can. And we know you're trying to do the best you can. And that's really what, you know, kind of gave us that growth as a, as a company to be much more kind of mindful and aware of each other and how we can support each other. Yeah, well said, Victor. Dave, any thoughts on this from you? Well, yeah, I I think that COVID caused leaders to really think more about the 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 totality of their people. Uh, yes, you know, f- even farther than thinking about, do I have a good benefit program? Uh, do I have? Am I is my pay scale right? Am I investing in their retirement? Am I providing learning opportunities? Uh, do people have chance to grow? I mean, I really do think actual uh, health and well-being rose to the top. And I know that in our circumstance, we 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 you know the four or five hundred people that have to come in and work every day, a in order to earn a living, and b in order to keep our business going, needed to be safe. We needed to figure out how they could be in the building be in the factory and do so safely. And we spread them out. We put, took all the precautions. We measured, we took temperatures. We did, we did everything, all that stuff you do. And, um, but there became sort of a heightened awareness 
that, you know, that part of, uh, of the culture, that part of employee well-being is at the top. Yeah. And if your people aren't healthy or are nervous or are frightened, or if yeah. they have someone in their family that's been touched, you, you, their focus is going to go elsewhere. And I think that happened across the board in all, in, in all industries, remote or not. And uh, it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I think I actually think industry, business, employee opportunity, workplace culture, uh, work in general is is and will be better. And you know, I'll, I'll say this as you know, as a result of COVID. But I think we had to maybe check check a date in our calendars five years from now, and let's regroup and let's see what happens. Let's see where we are with remote. Let's see where we are with employee well-being. Let's see where we are with corporate culture. Let's see how leaders look and feel and act and think. I think this is going to be a significant evolution and change. And we're just at, sort of at the beginning of it, even now. Yes. And there's more to come. January 2028. It's on the calendar. Yes. <laughs> I love that idea. Um, I, and I agree with everything you said, Dave. I also think there's been a, a definite and kind of echoing what Josh said and my own personal experience too, a definite shift towards looking at the entire family, the interconnectedness of what we're doing, you know, both of our own families, but also awareness of our teammates' families and back to employee recruitment and retention and recognition, thinking about the wholeness of that of that family system, like a better term. And, and that's the, been... And that's been a positive outcome from yes. Zoom and Teams. You you see the you see the kid crawl up on the lap, or you see the dog come in for a, a nuzzle yeah. or something. You know that's been a positive thing. That is that that's not all bad. I agree with you, hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's definitely a shift. Kind of on that same line, or or kind of a different angle on that. So as we've had this kind of what I'll call heart centered shift leadership in the culture and this recognition of holistic well being and and those different aspects. You know, we read a lot right now about the layoffs happening, particularly in tech, right? The fact that people are being good stewards and preparing for the economic potential recession or just being prudent and making certain decisions and managing risk. Um, one of the questions that came in, I'll kind of take liberty in a bit, but how are you all managing or how can CEOs or companies do it right, if you will, in terms of balancing this, you know, stakeholder capitalism with pure shareholders in terms of making sure that we're looking out you know, for the well-being and sustainability and sustainability of our businesses. I think this is a real tension point, right? In terms of doing right by people and also making sure that we're the business is surviving, it's growing, the right investments are happening. And uh, Josh, and you might ask about this. We talked about layoffs and how that comes back and the, the long-term costs around that as well. And, and what that looks like is the question of are layoffs even necessary? Is there a better way to reallocate talent, reskill talent to change that? I mean, there's a lot of questions here in that, but how how do leaders do it right? Is there a new way? Is there is there a better way um, to that allows us to look at the holistic system and create healthy, thriving, sustainable businesses? I think that's something a lot of people are struggling with right now as we see cuts and and trying to figure out how do we motivate and, and get people working at their highest productivity and consider what we've learned over the last few years. There's a, there seems to be a real kind of rub there right now that people are picking up on. It's hard. This is, you know, it's like on one side, you're seeing companies be very generous because their CEOs are publicizing like what actually happened. So we got visibility and there's some very generous things that are happening. Yes. And on the other side, it's like, if you're impacted, it's like, I, I don't care what you're giving me. You go down to like Maslow's hierarchy needs of food and water. Like I got to find a job, you know? And so yep. it's really difficult. Um, 
there's, I don't think there's a great way to do it by any means, but I think the key is being open and transparent. I think that's why some of these companies like Stripe and others have been lauded because they've been very open on what's going on. Um, they're talking about how they're trying their best to take care of employees. Um, but if you're impacted, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's really, really hard. So I just say be open. Um, I think one of the cool things about how, like, there's cons to how connected we all are, but one of the pros is like every day on LinkedIn, I see somebody who's forwarding somebody along who got laid off and is impacted. And so it's like, you can kind of spread through the network really quick. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to what I said initially, which is there's a lot of people that have never seen layoffs before. Yeah. Right. Um, so this is their first time. And right. So I, as a leader, if, you know, even if you're not being impacted by that, grabbing your team, especially if you've got younger team, like, listen, this, this happens sometimes, right? And here's, here's, here's a great example of a good thing that's happening and, or just having an open door and just answering those questions because there's more to your people than just their work outputs. And this is so core to what we built into the product Spotlight, like looking at your work fulfillment, your life fulfillment, your self-fulfillment. If somebody is really hurting in their life and their self and they're worried about that work side of the equation, which is already really stable for them, that could send them somewhere completely in yeah. a different direction. So I think just as CEOs, it's upon us to over-communicate at all times what's going on with the company um, in good times and in bad and talking about that why behind. And that trickles down. If you're a manager, listen to what your leaders are saying because you have to tell people sometimes six, seven, eight times, like there's research around this until they really understand it. So really trying to, to cascade that. So I don't know. I, 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 saw, I saw a lot of seasoned chief people officers about six months ago on LinkedIn who knew this was going to come. They're like, listen, there's rumors about layoffs. Like, do what if you're a CEO, do whatever you can to not do it because it really hurts your culture. So yeah. figure out ways to cut costs now. Figure out ways to think about reskilling now. Um, and they were given really good advice. I'm just not sure everybody heard it. Yeah, or or could do it. So that's my two cents on that. Yeah, I, I would say that there's there's no good ways to do it. There's only less sucky ways to do it, right? I think that's that's the answer, but. Um, I think when we like, I, I think we all kind of have been through the same thing, which is being open and transparent and as early in the communication as possible is, is, you know, what's fair to employees and letting them know, Hey, here's the risks. I think when you have that trust, they know that you, if you're cost cutting, you're eliminating every other cost first before you go to people. Cause that's obviously the, 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 the most impactful um, so, you know, and I think when we kind of give people the honest expectation around that, A, they're prepared, B, they have the fairness of, you know, hey, do I need to hedge my bets and, you know, look for something else. But also like, like in that time, like I want to give you opportunity to, you know, to do things that are going to help you, you know, escalate either job title, job performance, whatever, so that if that does happen, or if you leave, you're in a better position to get that next job, Right. I agree, Victor. A question is going to come that was coming to me as we were talking. I'm going to come back to that just a second. Go ahead, Dave. Thoughts on this? Well, just real quick, one or two. Um, you know, I think if you're if you're um, if you're forced into thinking short term versus long term, and some are because of the nature of their business or because they're answering to Wall Street or because they're under different kinds of pressures. Um, we're, we're privately held and we always take a long view. Always. And we, we, that's a luxury. Yes. I mean, that is a luxury. And, um, and it allows us to think out further. And, and, um, that's one thought that, you know, I, I, I wish there were a way for 
other companies to have that opportunity because I think it would be benefit them and benefit their people. Uh, the other part of that I think about is sometimes I think I, I don't know, like when when somebody announces that, you know, 10,000 layoffs, like one of our big tech companies did today or or whatever it might be, I, I sometimes wonder, who's it going to be? Do, how do they do that? Never having done it. Is it going to be, you know, 10% across the board, uh, 5% across the How do they do that? And could there have been, are they just cutting costs or, or are they are they eliminating lower performers that could have been higher performers? Had they been helped along the way, coached better, and maybe that could have helped the company not be in a position where it now is having to have layoffs. Now, that's kind of complicated, and I don't have the answer, but uh-huh. I, I think we should be thinking more about the front end of layoffs than just the back end of it. <clears throat> Your intuition spot on on that for what it's worth. We can talk more about that. Josh or Victor, either one of you guys are nodding. Do you want to say anything on this topic before I kind of dig in further? Yeah, I, I think that that's hugely key, right? The uh, I think a lot of layoffs are, um, you know, performance based, right? It's like they're gonna they're gonna want the highest performers, and I think yeah, I think you're a hundred percent right. It's like could those people have been more productive to create better revenue outcome output whatever that is earlier, so that it doesn't become necessary? I think that's that's a really good point to consider. So. Yeah. So kind of along those lines, and Josh, you have a similar background in the space around education, around investing in training, and you're doing this as well for the, for the consumer marketplace, Victor, around financial education, right? So you have a, a lens on this too. It has the responsibility and opportunity for employers and organizations where people spend their, their working time, is the balance shifting that we provide, that the, that the burden of responsibility falls to us to provide opportunities to educate in all ways, right? And, and all kind of ages even, that we're building a true talent pipeline from that aspect and looking at back to family systems, looking at that as a way that we're developing talent in a different sort of model and that we are arguably still significantly under investing in education, training, and skills to help recruit from other industries, to share talent across industries, that that that's truly the opportunity here. Um, what are you all doing to kind of move move in that direction within your organizations? That's part one. And then I'll kind of have a second part to that question. It's more personal as well. So I'll, I'll bring up a kind of a selfish perspective on this. Um, you know, as a startup, you know, we're looking at every dollar, right? And one of the things that we've seen is development of our own internal personnel is far and away more cost-effective and productive than any, you know, uh, a headhunter, like a recruitment effort for pedigreed people. Um, yes, I mean, there, there is a, a advantage to an opportunity for that, but I will say like our top performance at our company are people that were at the lowest levels of the company, like responding they were Dave, to customer they complaints. Were Dave four years ago. They were exactly. Dave, right? And yeah. so, you know, if Dave worked for us, you know, like how many years ago, it, it's like, we see though that talent. And that's, I think that's one of the key things as leaders is that we see like capability that we create opportunity. Um, the amount of advancement within our organization has been significant when we've invested that time versus when we brought in a, you know, a bunch of like quote seasoned experienced people. I mean, yes, that's important, but I think the motivation that people have that drive, uh, is when they say you had the chance to do this. And they say, heck yeah, I want to do it. Love that. There's, yeah. there's like, like, it's not even a close comparison in terms of productivity, like in terms of like cost effectiveness. 
And, and it's like it's on it's an order of magnitude different. Mm-hmm. I love that Victor said the word startup and watching every penny in the same sentence. Um, <laughs> and I and I love that sense that he's creating, he's developing people. By doing that, he's creating loyalty. He's got people that have built-in expertise. Uh, you you know, uh, you don't always have to go outside and find a water walker. They're they're often right under your right under your nose, and that's a big part of a of a of a company's success and culture. I, you know, I love that comment, Victor. I thank you for that. I learned a lot just listening to you just now. <clears throat> Josh, you want to chime in on this? You know, we're, we're pretty small, right? And so I think, you know, we don't, we don't have the dollars to spend on that. So, but I, what I do tell our team is like, we talk about, you know, you come here because you're purpose driven, you're mission driven, and we're trying to change the world a little bit for the better in the workplace, but you get a chance to do a lot of different things, right? So, um, Curtis on our team, he, we hired him as a, a demand generation expert, right? To get our word out and do that through marketing. But like, there's days where he's helping out with customer experience and customer success. And so I always joke with him. I'm like, listen, man, I go, I, I, I did go back to graduate school and I did pay for my MBA. I'm like, you're learning more here a year than I did, you know, in, yeah. in my graduate school. Right. And it's, it's, so I think just we're tiny, but I think if there's opportunities to just flex and try different things as a, as a leader, just look for those. Like, but it comes back to the conversation, right? <laughs> Talk to your people about what's important to them. Do they even want to be growing right now? They might not want to be growing. They might have other things they're trying to do. Like they're just kind of coming in and they're kicking butt at their job. So understand what they want. Ask them what what would be cool. And like Dave said, it might be it might be there for you. Like that person could be at your company or that opportunity could be there. You just need to listen. Listen to what they're looking for and put them in a position to do it. So um, I think the cool thing about how fast everything runs now, that's got its cons, but the pro is like, there's a lot of opportunity to do a lot of different things. Um, you know, business isn't stagnant. Well, well said well on said. that. There's so many good comments. I've, I've written down so many notes in this call. So a few things. One, I want to say each of you strikes me as committed to your learning that you've always been doing that. Each of you strikes me as problem solvers and you're all entrepreneurial or entrepreneurship driven at the core. Question though, did, did, did each of you ever, did, did you aspire to be CEOs? Did you aspire to be leaders at the top of the organization, quote unquote, early in your career? Or did that happen organically? Like, yeah, nope. go ahead. You're all shaking your heads no. Totally organic. Totally organic. No, I was, I, in fact, having been at a bunch of startups, I kind of liked the view of being close to the founder, founder but like, because I, I would watch what, what he or she would have to do. And like, you're going from a financial call to a sales call to an HR issue. And it's like, you just got to know a little bit about a ton of stuff. And I was kind of like, no, thank you on that. I loved, I loved leading teams. I love leading teams and like recruiting and developing talent. But like, I don't know. I just that that just seemed too much for me. But but uh, but a mentor of mine, actually, a couple different people told me in 2019, you should do this. And I was like, ah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But the opportunity presented itself. And I'm guessing with Dave and Victor, maybe it's something similar. It's like this opportunity presented itself where it got interesting and. I think it's a great lesson. Like I, I took a leap. I some days I'm like, do I really know what I'm doing? You know, but I but when I'm when I'm open about that and talked about that with other people, everybody kind of feels the same way. It's like you stretch and you're like, it's the whole imposter syndrome thing, right? So it's like, you know, try to do the best I can. But I'm also super open with my team. Like they know I'm a first time CEO. And it's like, I don't have all the answers. I'm doing the absolute best, but let's talk about this, right? Like here's my POV, but 
What do you think? So I, I really try and preach open comms on that. So, so I, I think that's one thing uh, I've seen is that, um, you know, people who want to be CEOs, uh, you know, I don't know if those are the people that should be CEOs. I think it's the people that don't want to be CEOs and see that it's the CEO. I think they, uh, you know, I think we see the immensity of that role and the, the responsibility of that role rather than, hey, I get to be boss. It's more like I have the responsibility for all of these people's Everyone's employment your boss. livelihood. Everyone's exactly. Your boss. Exactly. And I think that's where, you know, it's the, I think when we have good mentors around us, they say, no, this is something that you should do. Right. And it's not because we want to do it, but we say, hey, here's something that I can create a difference, you know, make a difference for a company and people. Um, and I think that's what you're driven by. You're not driven by the title. You're driven by what you want to accomplish. But, you know, and I'd say like, you know, if, if you need the CEO title to be able to do certain things, eh, you probably shouldn't be the CEO. It's like, you should want to do those things and accomplish those goals. Yes. Maybe then you should be CEO. Mm -hmm. Well said. I love that. Dave, you want to add it? Yeah. I'll throw a quick comment. You know, I think I'm looking at this group and I'm thinking, for sure, I'm the only baby boomer on this call. Um, and uh, I've got a few years on all of you. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I think part of it is that when I came into the workforce at first, I needed a job and I wanted a job and I knew how to work. My, you know, my parents, my upbringing taught me to work. And um, I happened to land in a place that I eventually fell in love with. I was given opportunities, surrounded by a great company, a great culture. I never, I never plotted to yeah. climb a ladder or to think of that, about that. Uh, but things do come along in your career. If you, if you're, if you can find a place that you, where you love what you're doing and you continue to work hard, opportunity opens up. And I don't think it matters what generation you are. I think we make a little too much of Gen Y, Gen Z, baby boomer. I think uh, we have a lot more in common than not. And um, it, it all, it all, um, it all comes out in the humanity. I love that statement. So, and let me ask another question that kind of is a dovetail off this question. <clears throat> and along the lines of self-care and along the lines of uh, self-awareness, would, would each of you say that you're really good at managing your stress? Because I do think that is a distinction that's different for CEOs or, or, or top leaders versus others, that you've really intentionally cultivated your ability to handle what many of the people would consider overwhelming stress, right? Do you think that's true? Uh, I would say that I think yes, and my wife thinks no. So maybe that's a good way to kind of separate those two. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, we have to, like as CEOs, it's part of our responsibility is to kind of be the, the calm person. Yeah. So I think especially with our teams, we have to manage and be, you know, figure out how to be pragmatic and practical, but still, you know, kind of... Uh, authentically motivating yeah. um so but i think it's like the nature of the job is is going to be stressful um and how we manage that has to be like across the board that's why like you know josh and dave's platforms i'm like oh i'm gonna figure out how to sign up for that <laughs> so <laughs> well and to that point if you if you don't think you're good at managing stress what what are you doing to practice that because i agree that that calmness that steadiness that ability is important in that leadership role right so well, I think, you know, with, 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 uh, leadership teams in general, it's like, you have to have open, authentic communication, whether it's, con you know, whether it's, uh, it's, you know, there's conflict or not in that you have to kind of walk towards that truth. Um, and that's with my wife being CEO at home. 
oh yeah, she's totally okay telling me the truth and perspective. And I think that's helps me like look at the, you know, the truth of like, am I really doing that? Or do I think I'm doing that? And, you know, and that's a healthy uh, dialogue. And I think that helps manage like, am I being successful? Okay. How do I, what do I need to change uh, to, to help that be better? I like, I like that answer too. Guys, well, Dave, are you going to manage your trust? I, I had a moment in a meeting not long ago, well, several years ago, where one of one of the meeting participants said, it just doesn't seem like we're having that much fun right now. Mm. And I thought about that a lot. And I, I thought and thought and thought about it. And I thought, well, that's not good. And we've never been an organization that uh, wanted people to work 50, 60 hours a week. We've never been an organization that wanted to, you know, churn people up and spit them out and use them up and move on to the next one. We've, we've always had a good work-life balance approach to everything. And, and so um, I cannot, I can't really tell you that I feel a heavy, heavy burden of stress. I, I don't, I, I think I love what we do. I enjoy my role. I feel fortunate in it. I'm surrounded by terrific leaders. Um, I trust them, man. I delegate a ton and uh, they do too. And, I don't know. Maybe that sounds too Pollyannish, but um, I think that's a method in of itself. You're creating, you're intentionally creating an environment of fun so that it, the stress naturally is alchemized, digested within. Maybe, yeah, room, maybe. Right. I mean, that's a method in your leadership. I think so. Well done, Dave. You know. Well, I can't take credit for it for sure. I can't take. I can't do that. Josh, Josh, I'm I'm looking at Josh thinking. You know, and, and even Victor, you know, those guys probably have more stress on them with, you know, the startup and something new. <laughs> and, and even though fewer, maybe a smaller team, but maybe there's a, a more concentrated, focused sense of survival or something. I'm not sure. Would you say that's true? 100%. Yeah, we're, we are in, we are in that survival. I mean, that's how it is in the first couple of years, right? And um, I think my wife always tells me, like, well, you really do a great job. Um shouldering a lot of that stuff because i i personally just tend to take on other people's emotions a little bit too like i it's just the whole feeling situation right um if you get into like the myers-briggs stuff but uh i think one thing that's hard whether you're a ceo or not if you're working at home man i mean you know dave your commute from your office i'm sure is longer than my commute to the kitchen right and um that's that's one thing that's hard but I, we've built a product where we kind, I kind of have to check in once a week with with myself. It's like it, it asks me, Josh, how fulfilled are you at work? How fulfilled are you at life? And how fulfilled are you in your self care? So we're building kind of these micro changes. So now it it just Derek it kind of forces me to be more acutely aware of that. But yeah, startup life is it's it's very stressful because um, there's a lot you got to worry about. But I I slow I I pause. I slow down each morning. I. I sit down, my wife and I grab some coffee in this front room of ours. We do a little bit of reading together, just kind of check in. And that's, that's helped. We've started doing that since the beginning of this year. Um, that's been a fun little, fun little habit to start on. But I would say, listen, your to-do list is endless. Work's going to be there. Figure out the things that you really want to do for yourself first and try and do those. I'm not a huge morning person, but try and do them early because then work and life take over. It's really hard to do it later. So whether it's just slowing down and pausing, being quiet, doing the exercise, or just getting good conversation in, I think finding that time for yourself is really, really important because when the self falls down, everything else falls down. Well, gentlemen, again, this hard to believe our time is up here. I want to just acknowledge each of you again for sharing your humanity with our audience, your experiences, your lessons, your leadership. 
um, tangible and practical things that, that leaders and people in their business can do to help with their stress, with their businesses, with their teams, with their culture. So many notes here that I took personally. Uh, I'm excited to collaborate with you on so many different levels. I'm here as a support for you personally and professionally, as, as well as your teams. Uh, and I'm definitely going to send you a counter invite for January 2028. That's going to happen. <laughs> and wait to do the look back. And hopefully all the businesses here are just massively successful with whatever, whatever we do. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. But again, thank you to each of you for being part of the Rebels community and for the leadership and work that you're doing in the world, supporting people, supporting teams, companies, and cultures. Uh, you really are doing important work and we value you. So thank you to you and thank you to our audience for Rebels of the Heart. We'll see you in the February episode. Be well, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Great to be with you.